To those joining us online, we will be in Acts chapter 16 this morning. But before we do that, we want to open with a word of prayer. And uh, Josh, would you please lead us? on you this morning and open our eyes and our hearts and our clear our thinking as we study your word. Give Pastor Sowers a friend of mine to this high school class. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Well, last week um, we were in Acts 15 and basically the whole chapter is devoted to the Jerusalem Council. Does anybody remember what the issue was that brought that Council about or what was needed to get hammered out? What the Gentiles had to do to get saved. Okay, that's a good summary. What the Gentiles had to do. So here's Paul has reported Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus, and there's some people that got nicknamed the Judaizers or the party of the circumcision, and that's great, but they can't be saved unless they are circumcised and follow the law of Moses. So they didn't just say, it'd be nice if they would do that, or it's our preference. It says in verse 15, they cannot be saved without that. Okay? So to, to just put that, you know, nobody here is particularly worried about getting circumcised in Jewish dietary kosher laws, but there's always other versions of Christ plus something you have to do to be right with God. So that was the issue. And it'd be worth clarifying to say the Judaizers were not saying works instead of Christ. They were saying works in addition to Christ. They weren't saying Christ isn't necessary. They were saying he's not enough. So they were saying people need Christ plus something else to be right in God's sight or they cannot be saved. They must do these things to be right with God. So um, let's reread Galatians 1. And here's best as we can tell what Paul wrote on his way to the Jerusalem Council, just to say very strongly what's going on in this issue. So would somebody please read Galatians 1 6 through 9. You are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel, which is really not not another, only there are some that are disturbing you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even though we, or an angel from heaven, should preach to you a gospel contrary to that which we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to that which you've received, let them be accursed. Okay, so what are a couple of main points we get from Galatians 1? How many Gospels are there? Exactly one. In fact, he says, any other quote-unquote so-called Gospel is not worthy of the name. Okay, so last week I shared the story about a brother up in Sioux Falls who said, well, the Gospel as I understand it is this, and the Gospel as... My future son-in-law, who believes it's Christ plus, 
is that, and you just sort of let it hang there as if we can both have a different gospel and that's okay. And it's, Paul's saying, no, there's only one gospel. And what does he say about anybody who's teaching any other version of a gospel? Let it be accursed. Accursed. Under God's judgment, under God's condemnation. So not true for you, it's not true for me, wishy-washy, it's, no, they are on their way to hell for that kind of false teaching. That's how serious this is. So let me, I brought a visual aid because I like to visualize things. You all see that? Use my best handwriting. So, the false gospel that's being addressed in Acts 15 and Galatians is faith plus works yields salvation. Okay? That's why Galatians and Romans are both in the New Testament to fight against that mindset. Faith plus what you do, circumcision, law of Moses, baptism, sacraments, anything else you try to add to Christ to have acceptance with God is out. So that's not right. Faith minus works is what the book of James is addressing. Remember, what does he say? Faith without works is dead. dead. He also says it's useless. And he says even the demons believe and they tremble. So that's what James is about. So you can see they're addressing different things. Galatians and Romans are, that's wrong. James saying, this is wrong. So there's two ditches, right? So the Bible actually says it's faith in Christ, yields salvation. And if you have salvation... It yields works. Okay? So what would be a text that would show this? Can you think of one? How about Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10? Okay? So by grace, you've been saved through faith. So saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's not the works. It's a gift of God. Or um, it's a gift of God. Not of works, so say men should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has ordained beforehand that we should walk in them. So the works is on the side after you've come to Christ, not in order to get to Christ. Does that make sense? So this is the real gospel. Faith in Christ alone yields salvation, but the faith that saves is never alone, is always accompanied by love and good deeds is Westminster Confession or Baptist Catechism or any of the other good documents that summarize that biblical teaching. The gospel isn't just, hey, believe, make some kind of response, doesn't matter what happens in your life. It's, it will yield works. But it's got to be on that end, not on this end. Okay, So that's what the Council of Jerusalem was hammering out. It's not this. James has to fight a different battle, it's not this, and everybody's agreeing in the Bible, it's this. Okay, does that make sense? Okay. Mark. Pastor, what's the passage uh, that talks about the father asked his two sons to go out and work in his field, and the first one says, I will, but then doesn't, and the other one says, I won't, but the other decides to go work in the field. Okay. So which one is the one that's saved? I would say it's the end one, the second yeah. one. Yeah. So I would say that supports what you're saying mm-hmm. here. Good. Okay, so any other thoughts or comments or questions about 
Acts 15, Galatians, or this little chart? Okay, well, let's move on then. Um, so how was this issue resolved in Jerusalem? We had these two parties. How did it actually get resolved? Kind of two parts. What did they say about how was a Gentile right with God? Since all of you are Gentiles, and, all, and I am one too, we really need to know the answer to this. How is it that you as a Gentile are right with God? It says there's no distinction between the Jews and the Greeks, and their hearts are cleansed by faith. Right. So us Gentiles are cleansed by faith just like Jewish people are cleansed by faith. Okay. No add-on circumcision, no add-on law of Moses, no you can't eat bacon and pork chops and ribs. It's faith alone, Christ alone to be right with God. And what else did they say to the Gentiles? So that's the main issue, how to get right with God, faith alone. But they had another piece that they asked the Gentiles to do. Not to be saved, but to do what? I know some of you were here last week, so don't feel dumb if you weren't here last week. And if you were here last week, it's just you're forgetful. <laughs> what, what is added in terms of if you're going to be part of this people of God that's Jewish and Gentile, what are we asking you to do? Mark? Uh, abstain from uh, animals that are strangled and abstain from blood and uh, no sexual immorality. Good. Okay. So those aren't in order to be right with God. They're in order to, for the sake of fellowship. Right? If you're going to be going to church with Jewish background believers and you invite them over for dinner and there's blood in your meat, I'm not just talking about medium rare steak, but <laughs> drain the blood ahead of time, that's offensive to our Jewish brethren. So could you just not do that for the sake of fellowship and unity with our Jewish brothers? Okay, It's not a, you won't go to heaven if you don't, it's we're asking you to not do those kind of things because they are especially offensive to our Jewish brethren. Okay, that makes sense? So again, you have to hear the distinction. One is about your relationship with God. The other is a relationship with people. Okay. What was the purpose of the second missionary journey? Visit the places they've been. Right, so why would they want to visit? Just do sightseeing, or why did they want to visit? See how they're doing. See how they're doing. Especially how they're doing in their faith, right? They want to strengthen their faith. So as they're getting ready for the second missionary journey, why do Paul and Barnabas have a sharp disagreement? They both wanted different destinations. I can't make the destinations right now. Mm, I mean, that's a good guess. 
but it's not quite what we see in the butt in Acts 15. John Mark deserting him the first time. Yeah, what do we do about John Mark? And Paul says he's a deserter, he's a quitter, I don't want to take him along. And what's Barnabas say? Yeah, let's give the kid a second chance, right? Mr. Encouragement's like, let's encourage this guy. And Paul's like, no. <laughs> and it wasn't like after five minutes of talking over a cup of coffee, they were like, yeah, let's, let's bring them. It's a sharp disagreement. Here's two pillars of the early church, the Apostle Paul himself and Mr. Encouragement, and they can't work it out, which is kind of sad, actually. But what was the outcome of that disagreement in terms of the bigger picture? Two missionary teams went out instead of one. Yeah, so we just doubled the missionary force from two to four. So that's kind of cool how there's at least a positive outcome, even though it's a negative situation. So any comments or questions on what we saw in chapter 15? All right, let's jump into 16. Would somebody please read the first five verses of Acts 16? Part of their missionary journey is to take this letter along, this decree that had been decided on at the Act or Council of Jerusalem, and they're strengthening the brothers. Why is Timothy circumcised if circumcision was just said not to be how you're right with God? So that he wasn't a stumbling block to the Jews. Okay, good, good. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians 9. It's not... We sheds light on that kind of thinking. First Corinthians nine, would somebody read nineteen to twenty-two, please? For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not my though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. Okay, so do you hear the mindset there? Like, I won't compromise the gospel. That's Galatians 1. There's only one gospel. But when it comes to adapting some things that are negotiable for the sake of winning a hearing and hopefully winning people to Christ, I'm willing to adapt. You know, so for Timothy, that's, I'm willing to get circumcised if that'll help me reach Jewish people. 
Um, think of Hudson Taylor, a uh, missionary to China. He was uh, a revolutionary in the idea of where, what kind of clothes did he wear when he went to China? Anybody know? He dressed like they did. He dressed like a Chinese person. He was the first guy to think of that. Everybody else wore their prim, proper English outfits and stood out like a sore thumb. Like, oh, you're obviously not one of us. And Hudson Taylor goes, you know what? I could put on one of those Mandarin robes and try to blend in. I mean, I'm sure going to look like an Anglo and not a Chinese person, but at least I could dress like them, and I'm going to learn their language. I'll speak like them, and I'm going to eat like them. I'll eat their food, not my English food. And, and that's kind of that mentality of 1 Corinthians 9. I'll, I'll do whatever I can do to bend to win a hearing, but I won't bend the gospel I'm bringing. That makes sense. So Timothy wasn't selling out on the issue of the Council of Jerusalem. He was being a team player. Like, okay, if that's what it takes to help Paul in his mission to Jews, I'll do it. So, any thoughts of that? Okay, let's read chapter sixteen, six through ten. So where did Paul and Silas think they were going next on this journey? Asia. Asia. Okay, so where's Asia, as in the way the Bible talks about Asia, not the way we now talk about Asia? What, what country is it now, or part of it now? Turkey. Turkey, okay. And then it's like, no, there's... Cole's door, nothing less than the Holy Spirit, is closing that door. So then they think they're going to go where? Bithynia, which is also part of Turkey. So they're going east. And that's a shut door by the Spirit of Jesus. So how is the gospel going to get to Turkey? Or Asia. Anybody know the end of the story? Okay, fast forward to Acts 19. Acts 19, would somebody read verse 10? This took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Okay, the this is referring to Paul 
being in Ephesus, teaching every day, tradition has it five hours a day for two years, and as a result, all who lived in Asia heard it. So just think how Paul and Silas are like, okay, can't go to Asia, can't go to Bithynia, huh, what's up with that? Did they know, oh, I bet we'll land in Ephesus and all of Israel here because we're going to teach there for a couple years? No. So what does that suggest to us when we have some closed doors or things that don't work out the way they, we had them imagined in our mind? I think of Isaiah 55. God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are higher than us. <laughs> You know, God had a plan for Asia. He wasn't like he didn't care. <laughs> he had a definite plan, and all Asia heard, but it wasn't the way Paul and Silas thought they were going to hear. And then, again, how many of us could give an example of, yeah, I thought it was X, but it was Y. I thought it was this, but it was that. I thought it was now, but it was later. God is always up to something, and his plan is always better than ours, so when we find ourselves in one of those jags, we need to trust the Lord knows what he's doing and he does all things well and not get bent out of shape, which I can do that. <laughs> get frustrated and like, why, why isn't this working? And God always has a plan. Any thoughts or questions on that? Okay, let's do 11 through 13 of Acts 16. So setting sail from Charles, uh, we made a direct voyage to Samothria, Grace, um, and then followed following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city to the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained there in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside of the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Okay, thank you. So where is Macedonia? Okay, it's, it's northern Greece, up, up above Greece. Um, and we would say in terms of continents, we're now in Europe. Turkey over is Asia, and so there's this westward movement of the gospel instead of going east, okay, heading toward Europe. Um, where did they go and why? Because where had they been going every city they went to? Where did they go first? Temple. Yeah, a synagogue or a temple, right? So why aren't they going to a synagogue in Philippi? I don't expect you to know this one. Okay. And um, how many Jewish men do you have to have in a city to have a synagogue? Ten. What's the reasoning behind that? If you have ten men and they all tithe, you have enough for a rabbi. So any city that had ten men or more could afford a rabbi. So the fact that there wasn't a synagogue in Philippi tells us there 
were a minimum of Jewish families there. Um, for, so they didn't, there wasn't even a synagogue to go to. But they thought, well, there might be a place of prayer, so we'll head on down to the river and see what we find. And they find a group of ladies. Okay? <coughs> so we'll find out what happens to one of those ladies. Verse 14 and 15. So how is Lydia's conversion described? He opened her heart. Yeah. Isn't that just a beautiful phrase? So why was that necessary? Doesn't it presuppose her heart was not open? So what, what does that tell us about our hearts? Shall yeah, our hearts are closed, they're cold, they're dead, <laughs> they're unresponsive. So Lydia could not open her own heart, Paul could not open her heart for her, only the Lord can open a dead, cold, closed heart. So if you're a Christian here this morning, it's because the Lord opened your heart, just like Lydia. That's our, everyone's testimony, ultimately, right? We don't all have struck down blinding light, blind for three days, scales fall from our eyes, conversion experiences. Don't, I've never met anybody <laughs> other than the Apostle Paul through his you know, letters that had that kind of conversion. But all of us had Lydia's experience. The Lord had to open our heart to believe the things of the gospel for us to be saved. So, um, Any comments or questions on that? So that informs how we pray for unbelieving relatives and family members and friends, right? Lord, open their heart. Not just get them to neutral. <laughs> open their hearts so they actually see and come to Christ. We want more than just get them to neutral. Shelly? It gives a, a sense of compassion hmm. to me because sometimes when someone is hostile, it's can be frustrated and you can sure. be angry and um, it's just a, it's just yeah, brings my heart to a better place mm -hmm. to remember that it's right. God's work and but that's also good news <laughs> because even that hard resistant heart can be opened you know, if it was up to us being persuasive or winsome or you know just knowing the right formula you just share the gospel this way you know everybody will come to Christ no <laughs> You can, everybody's dead, and we share the gospel, and God, in miraculous grace, opens hearts. And so, the hardest resist, like, look at Paul. Paul wasn't exactly a candidate for, oh, I bet he's going to come to Christ soon. He's out there getting Christians. But the Lord opened his heart, too. So, God can do that for him, he can do it for us, he can do it for any resistant person we know. 
Thank you. Any other thoughts or comments on Lydia? Okay, well, let's keep going. 16 through 18, here's another lady that Paul meets in Philippi. Would somebody read 16 through 18? It happened that as we were going to the place of prayer, a slave girl having a spirit of divination met us, who was bringing her master such profit by fortune telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, These men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. She continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out at that very moment. Okay, thank you. So what does this remind you of? The, the demons that the Lord Jesus had to tell them, be quiet. Yeah. Yeah. Demons know who Jesus is, and the demons knew who Paul was. Um, so just to refresh our memories, Mark 1, 23 and 24. Mark 1, 23 and 24. And 25. Do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of it. Okay. So, both Jesus and Paul do not want demons doing their publicity for them. Right. Is that what you, if you're going to share Christ with somebody, do you want a demon to come along with you and say, yeah, Jesus is real? <laughs> no. It, it, I mean, we're just so forward to our experience, but that's what's going on. You know, there's a spiritual conflict, there's forces of darkness, and they're operating in Philippi, and Paul frees this girl from that. So now we have Lydia and uh, her household, part of the church at Philippi that will become the letter that Paul writes to Philippians. We have this Slave girl who was freed, and then we'll meet the Philippian jailer and his family in a minute, but that's the makings of this group, a rich business lady, a poor slave girl, and a jailer. <laughs> that was the core of the church at Philippi and their families. So um, let's keep going because the story keeps going with what happens after this girl is freed from that, Acts 16, 19 to 24. of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, thank you. So why are these uh, masters upset? Because they're 
almost their profit. Yeah. I'm not going to make money off this girl anymore. So what happens after that? Just look at these action verbs. They were seized. They were dragged. They were beaten with rods, many blows. At least my version has rods. So think of like a broom handle, a wooden broom handle, and just getting whacked with that. Not just a couple times, many blows. So what are your ribs like after that? How many of you have had a cracked or bruised rib or a broken rib? It's terribly painful. You can, can't even get a deep breath without your chest hurting. And they got many blows with these wooden rods. So they're in pain. They're thrown into an inner prison, which means no windows. And if you have no windows, what are two things you don't have? Light and fresh air. So what? So it's dark and it stinks. And your back's ripped open with rods and bruised. And then what are stocks? Those uh, wooden plank things um, for your feet. Yeah, so it's this big board, and there's holes cut out, and your feet go through the holes that are cut out, and you're, that's the position you're in all night. So not exactly comfy for a good night's sleep. Um, so how might Paul and Barnabas have reacted to that? And let me give you the one answer from a Sunday school class years ago when I asked that question. They said, we should have gone to Asia. <laughs> Which I thought was incredibly clever. <laughs> Told you we should go to Asia. Um, but uh, what might we have done? Let, maybe let's get off Paul and Silas. But what, how might we have responded? We go, we think God's leading us to Philippi. It's going to be great. We're gonna, we've seen Lydia come to Christ. We've seen this slave girl get freed from demons. And now this, what might be going in your head? Did we miss something? Did we, I thought God led us here. What else might we respond with? God, we've done all this for your name. Why are you letting this happen? Yeah, why are you letting this happen? We're not doing something bad. We didn't rob a bank and end up like this. We're trying to share the gospel. Maybe a pity party? Like, ain't it awful? I mean, this hurts. This is, it's dark, it stinks, it hurts. My back, my legs hurt. A lot of negative kind of possible responses, right? Let's see how they actually respond. But let me read verse 25. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. That's something. How is that even possible? Kelly? That's supernatural, isn't it? That's not a natural response. That's God enabling grace through the Spirit to give them that kind of attitude and response to sing a praise, a song of praise to God at a time like that. And then God does some exciting things through that. Um, let's let me read 26 through 31. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open, 
and everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. So why is the jailer ready to kill himself? Because he thought that prisoner escaped. Right, so again, that sheds light on the resurrection, when the official response of why the tomb is empty is the guards fell asleep on duty, and the disciples came and stole him while they were sleeping. Little sentences like that remind us, that's not going to happen. Guards don't fall asleep if they know they're going to be killed, or they'll kill themselves if their person gets away. Um, why would the jailer ask this question in verse 30? Where, where did that question come from? They were... Okay. You know, Andrew, you're, doing, you're on a roll, okay. and I want to give everybody a chance to answer it, but you're doing great. Lane. Can you say the question again? Why did he ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Where did that come from? Well, a couple thoughts. One, he, he still thinks he's probably going to die. <laughs> okay. But he did hear them worshiping and, and saw the supernatural reaction. Okay. He knew the state that they were in, and yet they were praising this God that he never, you know, he didn't understand. So. Good. And those are the same two thoughts I have. Is this combination of get thinking about dying, whether it's here's this great earthquake, here's the prisoners maybe escaping, I'm going to either kill myself or get killed possibly, and here I've just been exposed to these two prisoners, I've, unlike any I've ever had before, singing praises to their God at a time like this. What, how do I put that together? And so we ask, what do I do? How do I, how do I get what you have? must need to be saved. And of course the answer that we even teach our kids in Oana, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So there's the gospel. Um, let's read what happens after that, 32 to 34. Somebody read that please. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them <coughs> the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. Okay, thank you. So, remember, Paul said, you and your household, his whole household hears, his whole household believes, and his whole house is baptized. So, again, that's the sequence, which sheds light on Lydia's household being baptized. In the same chapter, Luke clarifies, when I talk about household being baptized, it's because they believed. They've heard the gospel and believed, like the jailer's family, which you also see in Acts 18, a household is going to get baptized having believed. So that's always the sequence, believe, baptized. Um, any questions or comments on the jailer's family? Okay, let's finish the chapter 35 to 40.
was daylight, the magistrates sent their officers to the jailer with the order, release those men. The jailer told Paul, the magistrates have ordered that you and Silas be released. Now you can leave. Go in peace. But Paul said to the officers, they beat us publicly without a trial, even though we are Roman citizens and threw us into prison. And now do they want to get rid of us quietly? No. Let them come themselves and escort us out. The officers reported this to the magistrates, and when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens, they were alarmed. They came to appease them and escorted them from the prison, requesting them to leave the city. After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and encouraged them. Then they left. Okay. So just an interesting historical detail as far as Okay, the next morning it's time to go, and Paul's like, "Uh -uh. (laughs) uh-uh. It's not this easy. I'm a Roman citizen, and you can't treat a Roman citizen like you did yesterday. So he's kind of making a statement that, that you can't just take, I mean, the broader application would, again, Luke's writing to a, who's Luke writing Acts to? Theophilus, who's he? Greek. He's got a Greek name, but he's yeah, he's some kind of Roman official. So it would seem, again, this is a slam dunk, but just because there's more sentences like this throughout Acts about Christians have rights. Christians, you can't just beat them and throw them in jail. They they should be protected. It's subtle. It's not like, oh yeah, just screaming, hey Theophilus, you didn't put a footnote, Theophilus, this means you, <laughs> you're a Roman official, don't do this to Christians. But it, it just scattered throughout acts of appeals to Roman citizenship or just appeals to justice that, that Christians would not be mistreated. They are, <laughs> constantly, but at least Luke's trying to make a case that's not right when that happens. So, Is there also, Pastor, just like, Paul knew that he wanted followers in this place and we were going to be here forever. And so if they're going to treat us like that and then try to save face and just get, a, get rid of us secretly, that doesn't bode well for people. Right, right. The guys left. <laughs> or the next guys. Like, uh, you know, they yeah. just disappeared and now, now there's... Nobody knows people. what happened to them. Right, so... No, that's a good point. And they do end up at Lydia's house. So they're back with the brothers. So... Yeah, that's a that's a good point. Thank you. So what? I mean, at some point in our heart, we're kind of like, yeah, stick it to him, Paul. You know, like, <laughs> it wasn't just that. There was maybe a little bit of that, but it was more, I think, just thinking forward, like, hey, we're gonna have a church here. Yeah. They better be treated. I think that's a very good summary. So next time we read Philippians one six. He who began a good work in you, Lydia, and little slave girl, and unnamed Philippian jailer in your family, he'll be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. That's how it began. God did that. He began the work. Not Paul, and not the people mentioned. God began that work. God will complete that work. And we'll meet these Philippian believers in heaven. Um, so there was a church that was started there. Well, let's close in prayer. Lane, would you close, please?
Father, you are good, and uh, you have good things for us in your word. Uh, Lord, when we uh, face trouble and trial, <coughs> uh, we know that you are working for us, that even your no answers, our answers no maybe to our plan, but your plan is still well in place, and, and your plan is good, and so God, we just want to come before you and thank you for your goodness, your mercy, perfect and wise plan for each and every one of us. We thank you, Jesus, and we ask that you would bless our worship today, bless Pastor, 